0: Chapter Sixteen of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Chapter Sixteen Seasons of Growth. The days flew by, as summer had melted into autumn, so autumn had given place to winter. Life in the brick house had gone on more placidly of late, for Rebecca was honestly trying to be more careful in the performance of her tasks and duties, as well as more quiet in her plays, and she was slowly learning the power of the soft answer in turning away wrath. Miranda had not, perhaps, quite as many opportunities in which to lose her temper. But it is only just to say that she had not fully availed herself of all that had offered themselves. There had been one outburst of righteous wrath occasioned by Rebecca's over-hospitable habits, which were later shown in a still more dramatic and unexpected fashion, "'On a certain Friday afternoon she asked her Aunt Miranda "'if she might take half her bread and milk upstairs to a friend. "'What friend have you got up there for pity's sake?' demanded Aunt Miranda. "'The Simpson, baby. Come to stay over Sunday. "'That is, if you're willing, Mrs. Simpson says she is. "'Shall I bring her down and show her? "'She's dressed in an old dress of Emma Jane's, and she looks sweet.' "'You can bring her down, but you can't show her to me. "'You can smuggle her out the way you smuggled her in "'and take her back to her mother. "'Where on earth do you get your notions "'borrowing a baby for Sunday?' "'You're so used to a house without a baby, "'you don't know how dull it is,' Sighed Rebecca resignedly, as she moved towards the door.' "'but at the farm there was always a nice fresh one to play with and cuddle. "'There were too many, but that's not half as bad as none at all. "'Well, I'll take her back. "'She'll be dreadfully disappointed, and so will Mrs. Simpson. "'She was planning to go to Milltown.' "'She can unplan then,' observed Miss Miranda. "'Perhaps I can go up there and take care of the baby,' suggested Rebecca.' "'I brought her home, so't I could do my Saturday work just the same. "'You've got enough to do right here without any borrowed babies to make more steps. "'Now no answering back. "'Just give the child some supper and carry it home where it belongs. "'You don't want me to go down the front way. "'Hadn't I better just come through this room and let you look at her? "'She has yellow hair and big blue eyes.' "'Mrs. Simpson says she takes after her father.' "'Miss Miranda smiled acidly as she said she couldn't take after her father, "'for he'd take anything there was before she got there. "'Aunt Jane was in the linen closet upstairs, "'sorting out the clean sheets and pillowcases for Saturday, "'and Rebecca sought comfort from her. "'I brought the Simpson baby home, Aunt Jane, "'thinking it would help us over a dull Sunday.' "'but Aunt Miranda won't let her stay. "'Emma Jane has the promise of her next Sunday, "'and Alice Robinson the next. "'Mrs. Simpson wanted I should have her first, "'because I've had so much experience in babies. "'Come in and look at her sitting up in my bed, Aunt Jane. "'Isn't she lovely? "'She's the fat, gurgly kind, "'not thin and fussy like some babies.' "'and I thought I was going to have her to undress and dress twice each day. "'Oh, dear, I wish I could have a printed book "'with everything set down in it that I could do, "'and then I wouldn't get disappointed so often.' "'No book could be printed that would fit you, Rebecca,' answered Aunt Jane, "'for nobody could imagine beforehand the things you'd want to do. "'Are you going to carry that heavy child home in your arms?' No, I'm going to drag her in the little soap wagon. Come, baby, take your thumb out of your mouth and come to ride with Becky in your go-cart. She stretched out her strong young arms to the crowing baby, sat down in a chair with the child, turned her upside down unceremoniously, took from her waistband and scornfully flung away a crooked pin, walked with her, still in a highly reversed position, to the bureau, selected a large safety pin, "'and proceeded to attach her brief red flannel petticoat "'to a sort of shirt that she wore. "'Whether flat on her stomach or head down, "'heels in the air, "'the Simpson baby knew she was in the hands of an expert, "'and continued gurgling placidly "'while Aunt Jane regarded the pantomime "'with a kind of dazed awe. "'Bless my soul, Rebecca,' she ejaculated. "'It beats all how handy you are with babies.' "'I ought to be,' "'I've brought up three and a half of them,' Rebecca responded cheerfully, "'pulling up the infant Simpson's stockings. "'I should think you'd be fonder of dolls than you are,' said Jane. "'I do like them, but there's never any change in a doll. "'It's always the same everlasting old doll, "'and you have to make believe it's cross or sick "'or it loves you or can't bear you. "'Babies are more trouble, but nicer.' Miss Jane stretched out a thin hand with a slender, worn band of gold on the finger, and the baby curled her dimpled fingers round it and held it fast. You wear a ring on your engagement finger, don't you, Aunt Jane? Did you ever think about getting married? Yes, dear, long ago. What happened, Aunt Jane? He died just before. Oh, and Rebecca's eyes grew misty. "'He was a soldier, and he died of a gunshot wound "'in a hospital down south. "'Oh, Aunt Jane, softly. "'Away from you?' "'No, I was with him. "'Was he young?' "'Yes, young and brave and handsome, Rebecca. "'He was Mr. Carter's brother, Tom. "'Oh, I'm so glad you were with him. "'Wasn't he glad, Aunt Jane?' Jane looked back across the half-forgotten years, and the vision of Tom's gladness flashed upon her. His haggard smile, the tears in his tired eyes, his outstretched arms, his weak voice saying, "'Oh, Jenny, dear Jenny, I've wanted you so, Jenny. It was too much. She had never breathed a word of it before to a human creature, for there was no one who would have understood.' Now, in a shame-faced way, to hide her brimming eyes, she put her head down on the young shoulder beside her, saying, "'It was hard, Rebecca.' The Simpson baby had cuddled down sleepily in Rebecca's lap, leaning her head back and sucking her thumb contentedly. Rebecca put her cheek down until it touched her aunt's gray hair and softly patted her as she said, "'I'm sorry, Aunt Jane.' THE GIRL'S EYES WERE SOFT AND TENDER, AND THE HEART WITHIN HER STRETCHED A LITTLE AND GREW, GREW IN SWEETNESS AND INTUITION, AND DEPTH OF FEELING. IT HAD LOOKED INTO ANOTHER HEART, FELT IT BEAT, AND HEARD IT SIGH. AND THAT IS HOW ALL HEARTS GROW. EPISODES LIKE THESE enlivened THE QUIET COURSE OF EVERYDAY EXISTENCE, MADE MORE QUIET BY THE DEPARTURE OF DICK CARTER, "'Living Perkins, and Holden me for Wareham, "'and the small attendance at the winter school "'from which the younger children of the place "'stayed away during the cold weather. "'Life, however, could never be thoroughly dull "'or lacking in adventure to a child of Rebecca's temperament. "'Her nature was full of adaptability, fluidity, receptivity. "'She made friends everywhere she went, "'and snatched up acquaintances in every corner.' It was she who ran to the shed door to take the dish to the meat-man or fish-man, she who knew the family histories of the itinerant fruit-vendors and tin-peddlers, she who was asked to take supper or pass the night with children in neighboring villages, children of whose parents her aunts had never so much as heard. As to the nature of these friendships, which seemed so many to the eye of the superficial observer, They were of various kinds, and while the girl pursued them with enthusiasm and ardor, they left her unsatisfied and heart-hungry. They were never intimacies such as are so readily made by shallow natures. She loved Emma Jane, but it was a friendship born of propinquity and circumstance, not of true affinity. It was her neighbor's amiability, constancy, and devotion that she loved— and although she rated these qualities at their true value, she was always searching beyond them for intellectual treasures, searching and never finding, for although Emma Jane had the advantage in years, she was still immature. Holda Meeserve had an instinctive love of fun which appealed to Rebecca. She also had a fascinating knowledge of the world from having visited her married sisters in Milltown in Portland but on the other hand there was a certain sharpness and lack of sympathy in Hulda which repelled rather than attracted. With Dick Carter she could at least talk intelligently about lessons. He was a very ambitious boy, full of plans for his future, which he discussed quite freely with Rebecca. But when she broached the subject of her future, his interest sensibly lessened. Into the world of the ideal... Emma Jane, Hulda, and Dick alike never seemed to have peeped, and the consciousness of this was always a fixed gulf between them and Rebecca. Uncle Jerry and Aunt Sarah Cobb were dear friends of quite another sort, a very satisfying and perhaps a somewhat dangerous one. A visit from Rebecca always sent them into a Twitter of delight, Her merry conversation and quaint comments on life in general fairly dazzled the old couple, who hung on her lightest word as if it had been a prophet's utterance. And Rebecca, though she had had no previous experience, owned to herself a perilous pleasure in being dazzling, even to a couple of dear humdrum old people like Mr. and Mrs. Cobb, Aunt Sarah flew to the pantry or cellar whenever Rebecca's slim little shape first appeared on the crest of the hill, and a jelly tart or a frosted cake was sure to be forthcoming. The sight of old Uncle Jerry's spare figure in its clean white shirt-sleeves, whatever the weather, always made Rebecca's heart warm when she saw him peer longingly from the kitchen window. Before the snow came, many was the time he had come out to sit on a pile of boards at the gate, to see if by any chance she was mounting the hill that led to their house. In the autumn, Rebecca was often the old man's companion while he was digging potatoes or shelling beans, and now, in the winter, when a younger man was driving the stage, she sometimes stayed with him while he did his evening milking. It is safe to say that he was the only creature in Riverboro who possessed Rebecca's entire confidence, the only being to whom she poured out her whole heart with its wealth of hopes and dreams and vague ambitions. At the brick house she practiced scales and exercises, but at the Cobbs cabinet organ she sang like a bird improvising simple accompaniments that seemed to her ignorant auditors nothing short of marvelous. Here she was happy. Here she was loved. Here she was drawn out of herself and admired and made much of. But, she thought, if there was somebody who not only loved but understood, who spoke her language, comprehended her desires, and responded to her mysterious longings, Perhaps in the big world of Wareham there would be people who thought and dreamed and wondered as she did. In reality, Jane did not understand her niece very much better than Miranda. The difference between the sisters was that while Jane was puzzled, she was also attracted. And when she was quite in the dark for an explanation of some quaint or unusual action, she was sympathetic as to its possible motive. "'and believed the best. "'A greater change had come over Jane "'than any other person in the brick-house, "'but it had been wrought so secretly "'and concealed so religiously "'that it scarcely appeared to the ordinary observer. "'Life had now a motive utterly lacking before. "'Breakfast was not eaten in the kitchen "'because it seemed worth while "'now that there was three persons, "'to lay the cloth in the dining-room.' It was also a more bountiful meal than of yore, when there was no child to consider. The morning was made cheerful by Rebecca's start for school, the packing of the luncheon basket, the final word about umbrella, waterproof, or rubbers, the parting admonition, and the unconscious waiting at the window for the last wave of the hand. She found herself taking pride in Rebecca's improved appearance, her rounder throat and cheeks, and her better color. She was wont to mention the length of Rebecca's hair, and add a word as to its remarkable evenness and luster, at times when Mrs. Perkins grew too diffuse about Emma Jane's complexion. She threw herself wholeheartedly on her niece's side when it became a question between a crimson or a brown Lindsay Woolsey dress, and went through a memorable struggle with her sister concerning the purchase of a red bird for Rebecca's black felt hat. NO ONE GUESSED THE QUIET PLEASURE THAT LAY HIDDEN IN HER HEART WHEN SHE WATCHED THE GIRL'S DARK HEAD BENT OVER HER LESSONS AT NIGHT, NOR DREAMED OF HER JOY IN IT CERTAIN QUIET EVENINGS WHEN MIRANDA WENT TO PRAYER MEETING, EVENINGS WHEN REBECCA WOULD READ ALOUD HIAWATHA OR BARBARA Fritchie, THE BUGLE SONG OR THE BROOK. HER NARROW HUMDRUM EXISTENCE BLOOMED UNDER THE DEWS THAT FELL FROM THIS FRESH SPIRIT her dullness brightened under the kindling touch of the younger mind, took fire from the vital spark of heavenly flame that seemed always to radiate from Rebecca's presence. Rebecca's idea of being a painter like her friend Miss Ross was gradually receding, owing to the apparently insuperable difficulties in securing any instruction. Her Aunt Miranda saw no wisdom in cultivating such a talent, and could not conceive that any money could ever be earned by its exercise. Hand-painted pictures were held in little esteem in Riverboro, where the cheerful chromo or the dignified steel engraving were respected and valued. There was a slight, a very slight hope, that Rebecca might be allowed a few music lessons from Miss Morton, who played the church cabinet organ, but this depended entirely upon whether Mrs. Morton would decide to accept a hay-rack in return for a year's instruction from her daughter. She had the matter under advisement, but a doubt as to whether or not she would sell or rent her hayfields kept her from coming to a conclusion. Music, in common with all other accomplishments, was viewed by Miss Miranda as a trivial, "'Useless and foolish amusement. "'But she allowed Rebecca an hour a day for practice on the old piano, "'and a little extra time for lessons, "'if Jane could secure them without payment of actual cash. "'The news from Sunnybrook Farm was hopeful rather than otherwise. "'Cousin Anne's husband had died, "'and John, Rebecca's favorite brother, "'had gone to be the man of the house to the widowed cousin.' HE WAS TO HAVE GOOD SCHOOLING IN RETURN FOR HIS CARE OF THE HORSE AND COW AND BARN, AND WHAT WAS STILL MORE DAZZLING, THE USE OF THE OLD DOCTOR'S MEDICAL LIBRARY OF TWO OR THREE DOZEN VOLUMES. JOHN'S WHOLE HEART WAS SET ON BECOMING A COUNTRY DOCTOR, WITH REBECCA TO KEEP HOUSE FOR HIM, AND THE VISION SEEMED NOW SO TRUE, SO NEAR, THAT HE COULD ALMOST IMAGINE HIS HORSE PLOWING THROUGH SNOWDRIFTS ON errands OF MERCY. "'or less dramatic, but none the less attractive, "'could see a physician's neat turn-cut "'trundling along the shady country roads, "'a medicine-case between his, Dr. Randall's, feet, "'and Miss Rebecca Randall sitting in a black silk dress by his side. "'Hannah now wore her hair in a coil, "'and her dresses a trifle below her ankles, "'these concessions being due to her extreme height. "'Mark had broken his collarbone but it was healing well. Little Mira was growing very pretty. There was even a rumor that the projected railroad from Temperance to Plumville might go near the Randall farm, in which case land would rise in value from nothing at all an acre to something at least resembling a price. Mrs. Randall refused to consider any improvement in their financial condition as a possibility content to work from sunrise to sunset to gain a mere subsistence for her children. She lived in their future, not in her own present, as a mother is wont to do when her own lot seems hard and cheerless. End of chapter 16